на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. This week has been quite an uneventful one compared to the Super League debacle that took place earlier in the month. We'll be covering the only thing left to play for in the RPL, the race for Europe, as the rest of it is pretty much already decided. Then Richard and David will catch up on some Finnael matters before we all take a deep dive in Alexis Dukalov's new look Ufa side. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, this week we're joined by David Sanson. Hello, hello. It's weird how long ago the uh, Super League stuff feels like. It was only last weekend, but it feels like an age ago. Like it's a long forgotten thing already, almost. It's, uh, it's weird. That um, Twitter account of of things that lasted longer than than uh, the Super League did is quite brilliant, and, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's also good that Tambov in the RPL is actually one of those things that lasted longer than the Super League, considering how bad they've been. But as you can also hear, we're joined by Richard Pike. Good evening, guys. How are we all? It's an anonymous start, or maybe a good start that we've been recording for. 30 seconds and we've already got straight off onto a tangent but anyway like I said at the top at the very start of the pod it is only really the race for Europe that's left to play for in the RPL this week unless Lokomotiv can somehow shock everyone and and catch right up the Zenit with their six-point lead at the very top but a little bit further back Ruben Kazan in fourth Sochi in fifth Siska in sixth and Dinamo in seventh are all currently on 46 points with just three games remaining Ruben do currently stand fourth in the table due to the superior head-to-head record with the rest of the sides in that little little mini table that we're calling the race for Europe. Now, with the weekend, not all results went all the way for those clubs. Sochi did beat Ufa 3-2 away from home. Meanwhile, Dinamo then lost 1-0 at home to Kimki after peppering the Kimki goal for what seemed like 90 minutes and conceding right near the end. Siska lost in the main Moscow derby to Spartak, while Rubin, missing two key players that we'll probably hear about a little bit later, did also lose to Krasnodar on a little bit of a potentially surprising result or maybe a bit of a revival for Krasnodar, but the Bulls do need it. So Richard, you've kept an eye on, on this race for Europe during the weekend's games. Was there anything that particularly stood out for you or any any team in particular that you were disappointed with maybe? Obviously, in terms of result, um, you got to look at Dinamo's result, and it was it was literally just one of those days. They they absolutely, as you said, James, they absolutely peppered Himke's goal, but just couldn't get past um, Ilyan Tratov, who we put him in our team of the of the halfway point of the season just before we um, got back into action after the winter break, and he showed um, he showed just why he's um, been probably the best goalkeeper in the RPL this season. You know, he made save after save. Some of the shots, admittedly, were straight at him. But there was one in particular in the second half. I think he saved from Konstantin Chukavin. And it was right by his near post. And it was like he came out of his goal and then spread himself, you know, like like the goalkeeper that comes to mind for me is Peter Schmeichel. He spread himself like Schmeichel and just stopped um, Chukavin's shot. It was a really, really good save. And he pulled off one or two others. And you kind of had an idea it was not going to be Dinamo's day. Like they hit the post in the first half. And then second half, I think it was on the right on the hour mark on the 60th minute. I think Dukarvin, he did see um, he did see uh, Lantratov off his line. And he just did a lovely little chip finish, and it came off the crossbar. And you just kind of knew when that happened. It's like, yeah, it's not going to be your day. And then they got they got stung at the end by the sucker punch from um, from Glushenkov. Um, and and yeah, uh, once again another good scalp for Kimki. That's that's twice they've beaten Dinamo now this season, and they they also beat Lokomotiv at home. So they've had some good scalps um, this season. Um, you know, once again highlighting just how good a job Negochevchenko um, has done there. Um, and yeah, they they're probably the losers of the weekend. Dinamo, Rubin, probably a missed opportunity from them. They could have really, you know, I haven't seen their game, but they could have really, you know, with with Siska and Dinamo losing, could have strengthened their grip on that fourth place but obviously the mitigating circumstances were Kvitscha Karatschili was injured and uh, I think Dennis McCarth was suspended I think um, Sochi probably the real winners of the weekend actually in that race for for Europe with um, a win against Dufa 
another good performance and good result from uh, Vladimir Fedotov's team. So yeah, um, it's such an interesting race, and um, it's it, literally with all four of them being level on forty six points, it's going to be so tight, so tight. Looking forward to this um, this race for Europe. Sochi do have quite an easy run-in to remain as well. I mean, they do play Kimki and Krasnodar, which aren't the easiest of games, but they also play Rota Volgograd, which is, at this rate, the way Rota are playing, a guaranteed three points. Um, to look at some of the other teams run-in, Siska to have Ufa at home, before Krasnodar at home, and then Dinamo away. Uh, Rubin hosts Dinamo this weekend, before travelling to Tula to play Arsenal, and then finish off the season hosting Rota in a, in a, in a relatively kind remaining two matches but it's Dinamo's which are really I mean you, you mentioned that Dinamo this was a real losing weekend for Dinamo they I thought they played quite well and um, they dominated the game and it was really a sucker punch that they got a little bit robbed at the end but it really does look like a bit of a a, a potentially season-ending result for Dinamo because of they've got the worst head-to-head record out of these four teams and the three remaining matches are away to Rubin, away to Lokomotiv, and then at home to Suska. That's a really difficult run-in for them. But we'll we'll go on to next to Rubin. They obviously do, like I said, play Dinamo next. And David, I think they really missed Denis Makarov and Kavicha at the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, it was a very poor. I mean, the first half was was dreadful. Um, we, I don't think we actually didn't have a shot in the first half. Um, now I know Siska didn't manage a shot on target in their game against Siska, uh, against Spartak. Um, but that first half, you know, we went out and it was. I think it seemed obvious that we were playing for the draw. Um, and obviously, we then we then conceded. Ruben conceded quite early on through Yonov, and it was it was just one chance, and they kept actually Smolnikov and Yonov down the right side, uh, taking advantage. They kept. They were they were really applying the pressure down that side, getting in behind uh, Samoshnikov and I think Zuev. Uh, was he was Zuev or uh, Huang who was playing out on that on that side? I oh, know Shat. It was Shatov, and he was drifting all over the place because obviously he normally plays central. Um, so yeah, they were they were they were having they were running rings around Samoshnikov, getting in behind all the time, and they they managed to get through, and that's where they scored from. Um, and then second half, they Ruben picked it up. Uh, Cresson had a couple of couple of chances. Dupin called off a couple of good saves, but once we brought on Bukayev on the wing, like an actual winger, you know, doesn't have the the high dribbling numbers of Kucha or Makarov, who are two of the most prolific in the league. They're like in the top five, but Bukayev's I think about tenth or eleventh in terms of dribble dribble numbers. So he's still going to be a threat, and he was. You know, our two two or three best chances of the game, um, two of them came through him. Uh, making runs down the left side. Both of them, I think, were crosses for Despot, as I recall. Uh, one of the which went and landed on the roof of the net. So, um, yeah, I think it was... I think it's. it seemed to me that Slutsky was playing for the draw. Um, I think I would have, in hindsight, the, the decision would have been to start Bakayev to go you know, try and offer a threat. Um, but I think they were playing for the draw when we conceded... You know that was that was against the plan, but and we could have held the draw. You know we we did limit Krasnodar, um, but ultimately it was it was the gutless first half which cost us. Um, if it had carried on, you sort of fancy we make could score, but um, the fact that obviously um, Dinamo and Cisco had also lost that weekend, I, I we were frankly the last team to play of the group, so I was like, you know, look, they, everyone else has lost. We can lose here without too much pressure. It was still I knew we were still going to hold that spot. Obviously, a win or you know any result would have been ideal, but um, it wasn't to be. Uh, yeah, big and then would be yeah big fixtures weekend against Dinamo. We won the previous fixture early in the season, so all we need to do is hold minimum, hold a draw. Makara um, will be back from suspension. Kvitch is likely to miss the rest of the season. He may be back for the last fixture. They, the, the the team say, but uh, who's to say? Um, so if we're going to minimum hold Dinamo to a draw, that means we'll have advantage over Sochi, Cisco, and Dinamo if we were to finish equal in points. Which you know, the way things are, it may it may well end up being that way. Um, but you sort of fancy the the Arsenal Rotor is that should be six points for for a team who want to qualify fourth. If they don't get six points, then maybe we don't deserve it. 
Uh, it would be a shame to to miss out on it now after having such a good season. So we need to take advantage of that, those last two fixtures and, and get the wins and uh, try and finish top five if we can. Mm-hmm. And of course, they say top five because yeah. you criminally think that Loco may well, win the league against their uh, cup against Corillia. Just with the potential, you know, a team that's not that's won 11 games straight this year might yeah. have a good chance against the top of the second <laughs> division. But, uh, <laughs> Certainly, it, it, it's yeah. locals to lose without a shadow of a doubt. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm just hopeful, optimistic for Ruben perspective, anyway. Mm-hmm. I must admit, like we mentioned it with Misha last week a little bit, David, but I wonder what your thoughts are on Siska and Andvita Rolich. She started off relatively well at life as a Siska manager, winning winning this what three games off the bounce against, let's be real, fairly toothless opposition. But then after that, they've now lost three in the three in a row against rivals who are stronger, but in and around where Siska are on the table. Do you see much change, David, in the way Siska play and approach games in the Rolich? Because to me, it really does seem like same shit, different day. Yeah, it's it's not been good. I mean, as I was talking to one of our esteemed colleagues yesterday, and the, the word PE teacher came out. Um, when it came to when it came to Olich, um, <laughs> which, as you may recall, Cisco once put out a statement calling Churchill a PE teacher. Um, once upon a time, when he he slandered uh, Fyodor Chalov, so uh, a bit of irony there. But um, it's not been good. You know, we 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 knew it was going to be a risk. You know, guy who's not managed the team before, he's only been an assistant. Uh, we thought, well, maybe he'll be able to get the best out of Vlasic. But if anything, it's gone the opposite direction. You know, Vlasic is on his worst run of form possibly ever in the RPL. Uh, I mean, I don't think that's going to stop him from leaving this summer. We know he's still an excellent player, but it's, uh, there's just nothing going for that team right now. And honestly, if he if he's the manager next season, I'd have real real doubts about them. I think Siska need, like Krasnar, obviously Krasnar are not making Europe at this point. Um, I think Siska could do with a season out of Europe to rebuild. Whether that's under Olic to give him a season of just playing league football, or whether they, I, I doubt, I can't see them changing. It would, you know, imagine them backing down on this higher higher after, you know, just a couple of months. Um, so you imagine they probably will go with Olic. Uh, so it's, it's going to be a risk to go into this new season with him, based on, the, you know, they're going to probably lose Vlasic in the summer. Uh, Rondon's going to go back, end his loan, so they're going to need to go out and buy a striker, go out and buy a, a new creative midfielder. Cisco fans have have been very disappointed. Apparently, with I keep seeing uh, claim what like they're desperate for Akhmetov and Obyakov to be sold, uh, which mm. which is mad because you know first half of the season Obyakov was, was one of the best players and uh, he still is an excellent player. And it's I think they're being targeted perhaps unfairly when it's not just maybe they are playing poor right now, but the whole team is playing poor. And you know they're. <laughs> There's a team with Victor Vassin, you know, we saw Larson absolutely just turn him inside out for the goal, Victor Vassin. You can't have that guy playing in defence. Bruno Fuchs was back on the bench, which uh, for the first time since he got injured back in whenever that was, August, September. So they, I'm not just say they need to sign a centre-half, you know, they've got Fuchs there and if he's fit enough, then maybe you know, he's there to do it. But they need a good summer and they're going to need a very good summer with Vlasic goes. Uh, and under Olic, I have you know I have worries. It's it's not looking good. You know, there's nothing. I mean, no shots on target. I, I think it, I'd read it was the first time they've not had a shot on target in a game since 2017. So like three to three and a half years, and that was against Zenit back in back in 2017. So uh, yeah, not Jesus. good, not good at all from uh, from Cisco's perspective. And you know. With those games, Ufa are on decent form. Krasnodar have got a point to prove. Have just won their last game. Dynamo, uh, you know, up and down form. It depends what Dynamo is going to turn up. But you, you sort of, I look at Cisco's fixtures and think they could quite easily lose all three of those uh, last three games, and it wouldn't be too much of a surprise either. And let's think like back in before the winter break, I think we all sort of tipped Cisco to maybe make a run at the title. Um, because domestically they were still playing pretty well, and you know Vlasic was playing well, and that was that. Obviously they've lost players to injuries. Zanudinov has been has been injured for quite some time now, and I think that's a big miss. But um, 
it's it's been a wild turn of form from them, and I think uh, I think they will miss out on Europe. I don't think they're going to make it. It's very surprising. I, I would never have expected that, considering where Cisco were at one point that they were right in the title race. But the cur- on current form, I wouldn't be surprised. I'll just quickly before going back to yourself one last time on this, Richard. I'll I'll mention that at Sochi, what I've been particularly surprised about is Vladimir Fedotov's ability to really play a tune from what are essentially a team of or a team that's filled with uh, Finn Hell and RPL journeymen. I think that's a little bit denigrating to Christian Naboa, but if you com- combine Naboa, Arta Yusupov, Kirill Zaika, and Nikita Biomistrolov's goal and assists this season, they've got 35 between them, which I think nobody would have expected whatsoever. Sochi is Biomistrolov's 10th club in his professional career, and he's been like revitalised in one of those inside forward roles, either side of Zabalotny, whether it be him or, or Yusupov playing there with Naboa and Zaika a little bit deeper. They're um they're brilliant, but Richard, I'll come to you. Any last words on the on the race for Europe? Yeah, just um, just to elaborate on um, what David's just said there about Olich. Um, yeah, and what's even more troubling about that 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 not having a single shot on target. What's even more worrying about that is is that that came against the Spartak defence, which obviously was missing a few key personnel. Obviously, Samuel Zigo was out. Um, you know, they were having to play Gaponov in defence. Uh, yeah, I, I I totally agree. It was really really worrying just how toothless they looked in attack. And the ironic thing is, is that you know, there's all those reports, wasn't there, when um, Olic was um, appointed that oh this is an appointment to get the best out of Vlasic. Well, <laughs> Vlasic was playing perfectly well before Olic came. You know, it was it was just the fact that they needed to something different from Goncharenko, and and they're not getting it at the moment. And as I say, I, I still really think that 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 Siska job that was just screaming Vladimir Fedotov to me. That really was, and and I mean, I, I listened to a lot of football podcasts. I listened to one about the Bundesliga recently, and there's been a huge like uh, rise recently in the you know buying managers out of their contracts between Bundesliga clubs at the moment. You know, Bayern have just bought Nagelsmann out of his contract to RP, RB Leipzig, and you know Marco Rose is going to Borussia Dortmund from Gladbach last season. And you know when when they were talking about this on one particular podcast I listened to, they were saying, well, if you pay a transfer fee for a player and you feel that they're worth that that money, then you do it. And you know, Siska will probably spend money on players this summer, but you know, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't, don't really see what have been wrong with offering compensation to Sochi for Fedotov and taking him. Honestly, I feel that was just, especially considering Siska liked to appoint domestic manager. I think that it was just screaming out higher Vladimir Fedotov. But you know, their loss is is Sochi's gain, and you know, so he's he, he's done a remarkable job Fedotov in getting the best out of those players, and you know, Nabo is still really, really good. Getting getting goals out of Zabalotny as well, which is incredible. And um, tell you what is interesting for Siska as well in terms of the rebuild. Um, Alan Zagoyev's out of contract in the summer, and reports apparently that both Krasnodar and Sochi are interested in. And, and Sochi could be quite an interesting one with with regards to Zagoyev because obviously Naboa is getting quite old. And okay, Zagoyev's had a few injuries, but he's still a bit younger than Naboa. So that wonder if um, that's something that that's got some legs to it. But but yeah, I, I've got to say I'm going to have having similar reservations about Olich and I'm beginning to agree with, you, with with David there. They're going to struggle to win any of those remaining three games because Ufa are in form at the minute. And Dinamo, despite their loss at the weekend, you know, you have to remember they were unlucky. They had tons and tons of chances and on another day they would have scored three or four goals. So, yeah, it's worrying. You did mention the potential Fedotov going to Sochi, uh, from Sochi to Siska. And I wonder if anything that could have stopped that was some typical politics off the pitch where... And this is no opinion and insight, sorry, it's just mere opinion and interest case that Sochi are owned by Dinamo owner Boris Rotenberg. Uh, Sochi are essentially a B team to Zenit. So I wonder if if Siska maybe did offer any have any form of interest whatsoever and maybe were peddled back and pushed back. I'm not sure on that. David, any any last word on Sochi? Do you think they or arguably Rubin's biggest competitor for that final European spot right now? Um, yeah, I mean, quite possibly. Quite possibly indeed. I mean, this weekend, they they were actually dreadful. Um, Ufa completely dominated them, and they were they were so lucky to get the win, honestly. Uh, yeah, they scored from their first two shots of the game on two counters after Ufa had started brightly. Ufa fought back, Sochi had a man sent off. 
Uva pommeled that goal all second half. I think Swatji had like 30% possession or something, um, which against Ufa is wild. Um, and it was a bit like Kim Kidinamo. They had one counter towards the end, uh, happened to get a shot that hits uh, Jokic on the arm, and uh, they snuck a win. And that's when you can pull those results out you know, when they when you don't deserve them. That's when you when you know something's going right for you. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens to that squad. You know, there's a lot of a few players on loan there. Granted, players on loan there like Mamana and uh, and Prokin aren't actually playing very much. Prokin actually did start and score at the weekend though. Um, so that that old set of X and it cohort. It'll be interesting to see what happens to all of those. As you say, Nabo's getting old. I think any team signs Jagoyev is foolish to be honest. He's only played more than 50% of the minutes this season once since uh, 2016. You know, he barely completes 10 matches a season. And it's, it's just not worth having him. It's it's just going to be weight money just sat in the, in the in, you know, in the medical room. And it's sad to say, because, you know, he, he was a phenomenal player back in his, in his day, but he's, he's just, I hate to say it, he's literally just a walking sick note at the moment. So, um, I think... Uh, someone will sign him. That's the thing. Someone will sign him, but I would not be going near him. Uh, but you could see, Gon- I mean, Gontrenko has already bought a few of the Siska, Siska staff with him to Krasnodar. You could certainly see that happening. Um, you know, we saw, we've seen it before with Krasnodar where he's gone and bought out, bought in Shirakov. He bought him in, he bought Shatov in for a bit as well. So he sort of likes doing that every now and then, bringing one of those old guys in who has sort of, his career was dwindling, and both Shirogol and Shatov had great spells at Krasnodar. Let's remember as well. So maybe it would work, but um, I'll be a, a pessimist for once and say, uh, you know, I think Jagoe's career as a proper solid football in the RPL is over, and it's sad because he's, you know, he's not even thirty-one yet. But, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. Uh, I've seen weirdly a lot of people link. Zagoyev to Rubin, saying that oh, um, Slutsky gave him his debut and he played for so long, but Slutsky didn't give Zagoyev his debut nor did he sign Zagoyev, it was Valery Gadzayev who gave him his debut and signed him but I, I entirely agree, I think anyone who signs Zagoyev is, is doing it for the name rather than the experience of the last however many years that he's had in the league because it is such a shame, like you said, going back mm. to how good he was in when he first really broke through and he was at the Euros and the World Cup and he was, he was playing really like good stuff for both Siska and for the national team. And then it's all just derailed from there, rather unsurprisingly, to be honest. Yeah. If, if, he, go, if he goes anywhere, let's just say Alania get promoted, he would almost certainly go there. I reckon. Yeah. But that's He's from... Yeah, from yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, it's from Beslan, isn't he? With the yeah. where the attack was. Yeah, and of course he played. He's from Beslan, which is close to Vladikavkaz, uh, and then of course he did tr- train and was part of the uh, Yevhen Konoplyanka Togliati Academy um, in Samara. So he's, there's obviously been the obvious links to Karelia. Then in, in I think it was on Championat, if I remember correctly, last week, but anyone who's doing it, it's, it's just not a wise move, especially for the money that is going to be on. If it's a pay-as-you-play deal like you sometimes see, then it's under, it's an understandable risk as long as he's not on on too much. But we'll take a quick break from RPL matters now and we'll drop down a division because we didn't mention any of the Fenel last week due to events that happened outside of Russia and just the magnitude of the Super League at the time. So the Finnetel did unfortunately take a little bit of a, a back seat, but Richard, you have been keeping an eye on on the title race at the top end of the season, and you did tease last week at the end that we had a big, big um, battle in the race for promotion between Orenberg and Nizhny. I just wonder how, how that game went on and how the title race in general is shaping up. Yeah, I watched the first half of that game. I couldn't watch the whole of it like I had planned. Uh, something came up, unfortunately, when the second half was on. I watched the first half, though, and um, and just before half-time, Orenberg made it 2-1. Uh, t- sorry, 2-0. Um, yeah, Vorobiev, um, Dmitry Vorobiev scored um, both the goals. 
uh, in that first half for Orenberg. And to be fair, they did deserve a, a 2-0 lead at half-time. I think they, they outplayed Nishni. Um, and, you know, and then they ended up eventually winning the game uh, 2-1. Nishni got a late goal back from um, Gottschuk, who's been a really good central defender for them this season. But it wasn't enough, despite a, a Joel family red card in added, added time for Orenberg. They held on to win 2-1. And, and there was a round of fixtures yesterday, actually, where... Um, were Nishni, they lost to Yenisei um, Krasnoyarsk and Orenberg beat Chetanova 3-2. So suddenly gone from being a one-point advantage uh, to, by Nishni two games ago to a five-point advantage from Orenberg now. And with three games to go, I think, yeah, Orenberg are going to come up with Nishni, with um, with Quillia. Orenberg are going to come up with Quillia. Um, Quillia won 5-1 yesterday against Torpedo. Ivan Sergeyev just keeps scoring goals. I think that's 36 for the season now which is absolutely incredible. Um, so, yeah, I think the two promotion spots pretty much are decided now. Um, the two teams that went down last season are coming back up. Um, a little bit like the a little bit like the Premier League and the Championship, where Watford and Norwich have come straight back up after relegation. Same thing in Russia. The two that came down last season come straight back up. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they both get on. Um, you'd probably argue at the minute they're both considerably stronger than the two sides in the relegation zone of the, the RPL and they'd probably give Ufa and, and Arsenal Tula run for the money as well, both the, both the sides. So, so yeah, um, it was a big game and, um, yeah, initially have fluffed the lines. I think now it's going to be hard for them to go up. They're going to have to refocus and um, gather themselves for the playoffs. But, yeah, automatic promotion now, I think, is pretty much decided. And, David, you've been keeping an eye in further down the table and, one player in particular you keep liking to mention, and that's Tom's Nikita Kriftsov. Yeah, that boy. Um, uh, I never thought I would go out of my way to watch Tom Thompson's games on the regular again after I did it a few years ago, especially now they're in the second tier. But um, whenever Tom are playing, I try and stick the game on just to watch him. I think in uh, 11 games now, he's got five goals and two assists, playing in sort of a central midfield role, very free. Sometimes it's attacking midfield, sometimes it's deeper. Um, yeah, playing really well. And Tom Tom having a really good go at trying to stay up. You know, they, uh, they've they only lost twice this this spring. Uh, they've drawn quite a few fixtures, but to uh, only lose twice, I think, it's, I think they've played nine or ten games so far since the, the turn of the year. It's impressive. It's a good run. Them and Akron just above. Akron are four points ahead of them. They're both in the final two relegation spots as it stands and they uh, between them, they lost five times, and I think well, let's just say they played ten games each. So they lost five times out of twenty fixtures, which is good. But there's too, been too many draws there. But um, they're both having a go, uh, and Akron especially are within you know just one wins reach of uh, climbing out of the relegation zone, which it would be quite nice, I think, just because we know that Akron are an ambitious club compared to someone like uh, well, like the two like the you know, Spartak perhaps not too above them, or to like Tick Stilshik, who are just above that. Like one win, I think even one win would take them above Tick Stilchik, um, who have got probably the oldest average age squad in the in the league. Um and Akron have got a young squad, they've got a rich owner there, they're you know, they're they're looking to the future. So it'd be good to keep them up over one of those three clubs and Tom Tomsk because say um under Kurzhikov they're they're giving it a go with their relatively young squad, obviously Kurovsov, Kosarev, uh, both Russian uh, young Russian talents, Kostarev's got plenty of games at, at youth level. Uh, so a few of the other guys in the squad. So um, yeah, I hope to say, I hope those two can stay up. You know, the teams below them, Irtish, are pretty much gone at this stage. They technically they're not, but they they you know, essentially are. And Dean Rebriant, Chetanova, and Shinika are already gone. Uh, unfortunately, give Chetanova a chance to rebuild. Um, Karelia, yeah, they you know they I watched actually did have that game on. Yesterday against Torpedo, Sigev with another goal up to, up to 35 now. So he's got three more to go in four fixtures. And they've got to say they've got to play Spartak 2, Krasar 2 and Akron. So you see they've got to play three teams who are fighting hard to avoid relegation. And he's got to score. I mean, the fact that Krilly went out and scored five and Sigev only scored one was was the baffling part, really. <laughs> Normally, that's just not what you expect. <laughs> I think uh, RTM got excited. He said, oh, Sigev scored twice and... Unfortunately, I was I'd seen it. It was it was an OG, but a few of the websites stuck it down as a, a Sergey goal. So still three months ago, um, going back to Vorobiev, you know, um, at Orenburg, 
that, that first goal he scored against Nijini was it reminded me, do you remember that goal that Jamie Vardy scored against Liverpool in the year that Leicester won the league, that volley yes. you know, that came down yes. the wing, it, was, it yeah. was almost a carbon copy of that, it was fantastic it was a good goal yeah. and uh, he scored he scored another hat yesterday against Chetanovo, so he's up to 22 now for the season so um, it's interesting because I think if you put it to us earlier in the season who do you want to go up Horenberg or Nizhny we'd probably both, we'd probably all said Nizhny right but having watched them a bit more Nizhny plays such naff football whereas Orenberg Orenberg and Corelli are right they're, they're both um, so like unlike Watford and Norwich, both their squads, Krillia and Orenberg, are quite different to the squads that got relegated. Krillia obviously brought in all the Chertanova boys. Orenberg have got a relatively different squad to what they came down with as well. Um, so I'd, I'd actually be more inclined to see Orenberg now, just to see, especially how with Vorobiev, just to see how they can take to, to the top flight. You know, it's, it's difficult for top scorers of the Feniel to, to take that to the next level, but some of them can. So it'll be interesting to see how him and Sergeyev can can do. Let's just say they both remain at their clubs. Um, obviously, Kurt, obviously, Ovorobiev is a former Krasnodar Academy boy, but now he's under the, the Gazprom uh, umbrella. So if he was to move on, would he go back to Krasnodar or would he potentially even move up to Zenit? Let's just say Zenit were to, were to lose Asmoon and take a punt on Pont anyway. Granted, he's not young. He's 24, 25 now. So, um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, what else do we want to mention? Let's mention Alania, who pretty much are looking safe bet for uh, securing the playoff place now. You know, we had a pretty, we had a pretty good playoff race there. Alania, Baltica, Torpedo, Veles Moscow were in there at the start of the restart. Nifty Himic even were, were in with a shout at times. But uh, Alania have, have just marched on, carried on winning, carried on scoring. And they're now five five clear of Torpedo after they after Torpedo's lost yesterday. So it looks like we're going to see uh, see them go on and take on either Arsenal or Ufa, it would seem, in the playoffs, which uh, it'll be interesting. You've got ultra-defence is Nizhny and ultra-attacking Alania versus Arsenal, who are, you know, one week pretty good and one week pretty awful, and Ufa, who suddenly is starting to look like a, a whole new team. So um, so that, the, the playoffs will be interesting, especially as we didn't get any last year. So it'll be nice to, to have a bit of action at the end of the season. Um, yeah, I'll stop there. <laughs> My only, it's it's a nothing worry really, and fans of those clubs wouldn't care less when it comes to Orenberg. But my only big worry about Orenberg, or not worry, is dislike right now. Is that only? I mean, I watched the well, last match I watched of Orenberg was the five-two win against Spartak two, and only like two of the players. I think it was literally the front two. I think it was Vorobyov and Famia were the only ones under the age of twenty-five. And I do always like to see young players playing well in the Finnell and and getting the chance to potentially get promoted because I think it's just a more exciting prospect. Uh, Alania, although, are are literally the antithesis of that. They are a free-scoring team where week in, week out, their side is generally consisted of those under the age of 25. I think the only ones who are regulars who are older than that are the the centre-back and the left-back. And then the next oldest is Kita Kosanov, who who feels like he's older than he is because he was at Siska for years before dropping down to back to Lania where he's from. But they're quite an exciting, exciting team. Richard, any last words in the Finnell before moving on? Yeah, going back to Orenberg, it's it's actually quite interesting. They've actually got a foreign manager, which is a real rarity in the Finnell, uh, Marcel Liska, a uh, Czech manager, who actually intriguingly won the um who won the Belarusian League in twenty nineteen with Dinamo Brest. So, um, so that that could be quite interesting. You know, we've called for more foreign managers in the league, I guess. You know, because a lot of the Russian ones are quite naff, as as we know. Um, so I guess we're getting another one in the RPL next season. So that that could be quite interesting, actually. Um, but yeah, I, I do know, I do know what what David says about initially the the football isn't great. I have to be honest, and um, yeah, Alania are coming into the playoffs, coming into the playoffs in decent form, actually. They're, you know, they're coming up the league. Then else should be quite interesting next season as well, though, because like I say, we don't know what's happening with Tamboff yet. They're probably not going to be in the Feniel. I don't think they've applied for a license, and Rotto looked terrible. So the Feniel next season could be quite interesting with with Quilio and Orenberg, who look the, by far they look comfortably the two strongest sides. 
could be quite interesting. Nathaniel next season could be wide open. Nishni, depends if they can keep the players and add a bit more attacking intent. You know, Alani will be up there. Torpedo, you suspect, to be up there. Maybe even Velez, depending on what they do. So, yeah, could be quite interesting. But, yeah, it's just thought I'd bring that up with um, Orenberg having a, a foreign manager because that, that really is a rarity in the Fennial. Yeah, it's very rare. It's also worth noting that it's quite unclear what the composition of next year's Fennial will be before. I mean, obviously, it's before this one's even finished yet. But, of course, with the relegation spots currently are never really set in stone because of the low amount of teams who apply for licenses. Um, there are question marks, obviously, over Tambov's future um, and whether or not there's been reports recently that they won't be applying for a new license when they get relegated to the Finnael. And there's also worries about Chaika, Chaika's future and, and, and amidst a, a massive match-fixing storm. So it's a ever-changing league and it's always it's arguably as entertaining as it is because of how unstable it is as well as just some of the exciting young footballers they've got in there. Mm, yeah, the, the limit cheek rule has done has done wonders for it. Like um I've been monitoring this, the the numbers and I think I think uh there's been like eighty or ninety extra under twenty one players used in the Feniel this season compared to the previous. So oh. um, there's big numbers and that's without Zenit two being involved. Um but also two extra teams. We have to remember the next season we're gonna shrink down back to twenty, I think. Uh, you know, only four clubs are coming up. Four clubs will go down. So, um, well, not four clubs. We're going to lose six, um, and only four will come up. So, uh, and we've got a fair few. I think we have to mention two men just for Andrew. Two men are two men are in with a shout of getting back to a respectable league again. So um, that'll be interesting. We have to have Andrew back on for that. I think if that happens, maybe, maybe we don't want to give him too much airtime with. Uh... With two men, because they are just a small club in Siberia at the end of the day. But no, very that's, good that's, point. Very good point. It's good to hear about the youngsters because that's what we've been crying out for for a long time. We'd like to see more PL sides give their chance youngsters a chance in the in the FNL on loan rather than just limiting them constantly to say the the youth league. Because that is, I mean, I know a lot of the sides have the two sides, the two teams in the division, but L is a far more of a man's game and the players themselves are going to develop leaps and bounds more than they ever will playing youth football purely because even even if it's not technically, maybe technically they don't develop as much, but it's in sheer terms of physically, they're playing men, men's professional football. So the, the better standard in the L and the more youngsters that are playing it is only a good thing for the academy system in the country as a whole in the long term as well as in the short term and if we do move on to a side who have been intelligent with their academy players with their youngsters and and providing them a, a substantial and strong route into the first team we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive now into Ufa under Alexis Tukarlov because I think we've all been a little bit impressed by, first of all, the first two results where they defeated Akhmat 3-0 at home and then Spartak 3-0 away. And they did lose, as we mentioned earlier, to Sochi 3-2 in the last game, but the general performance was night and day once again from before Stukhanov's arrival. And and we've do- joked off-air that we almost didn't want to give Ufer and Stukhanov too much credit after the Akhmat performance because it was first game, he'd only been in charge for a couple of days, and there's there's lots of caveats, but David, I'm, I think it's time to now talk and talk up and lord over Stukalov's new look Ufa side for a little while. Yeah, and I'm more than happy to, I think. Uh, I've watched I've, I've watched all their games uh, since the since the changeover. So obviously, first first game out, they, they went and played... Uh, Akhmat got revenge after they lost in the cup. Uh, and we were like, oh, you know, he's only been in charge two days. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll give, we'll give that a bit of, bit of leeway there potentially. Uh, then they went out and battered Spartak. I know you don't want to talk about it, but I think we should, because it was great. Um, hey, talked about it plenty um, last week as well. I've already, we've done, I've done. Yeah, but I wasn't I here. I wanted to talk about it. <laughs> uh, 
you know, that, that was, you know, they played unbelievably well. And it, it's, it's just, if you said at the start of the season, you know, if we're going to sign these three guys who you've never heard of, Philip Mjuzelak, Komnen Andric, uh, and who's the other guy I was thinking of? Nemanja Militic. And they're going to be orchestrating a 3-0 win against Spartak Moscow away. You would have said, nah, nah, no way. And then, uh, obviously, yeah, they, they you know bumped out, back down to earth with the with a loss this weekend. But they were they are absolutely and you know as I mentioned earlier when we talked about Sochi, Ufa were, were dominant. They they really deserved it. Um, they really deserved something out of that game to even if it was just a draw um, after they'd you know uh, conceded a couple of goals early doors. They didn't have Alexander Belanov. Now I don't know how much he could have done with the first two goals. Um, the, the second one was a bit of a defensive blunder. I think uh, they everyone sort of stopped for a handball apart from Sabalotny, who just turned and smashed the ball in basically, um, and it wasn't even a handball. But um, other than those two early shots, it was just in all Ufa. They were they just played so well, just like they did against Spartak. They had like 70 percent possession by the end of the game. It was it was exactly the sort of football we wondered could he bring to Ufa after what we'd seen with Ufa over the years, you know. Ufa playing attacking football. Um before before Stukalov joined, um, Ufa had scored fifteen times in twenty four matches, averaging a goal every hundred and forty four minutes. Since he's taken over, they've they've scored eight goals in three matches and averaged a goal every thirty three minutes, which is like a ridiculous like a ridiculous amount. Granted, it's a very small portion size, but um, you know, it's a it's a very nice. What's the what's the phrase they use when the, a new manager takes over and they and they do well instantly? That's that's the phrase I want to use. Uh, new manager bounce. Yeah, that <laughs> they're, they're they're experiencing that to the to the to the utmost right now, and it's come at the perfect time as well because they've climbed out of the bottom too, quite rightly to be honest. Because let's be honest, Rotor and Tambov are the two who deserve to be there. Um, and they're going to give themselves, you know, they're not going to climb out of the bottom four, it's too much, but they're going to give themselves a fighting chance of, of staying up. Um, and we, it would be great, you know, uh, I was reading a quote from, who was it? It was another Fenio manager talking about him, basically. And he said, look, if we stay up, they're going to be great next year because they've got Stukalov. And it would be great to see them get a whole season. You know, it seems to be financially maybe stable again, obviously signed some players in January. Uh, get him out there, have a good season. Get you know if they maybe can bring Runov back again on loan. You know he's been a bit, uh, he hasn't featured featured very much since he's he joined back in January. Uh, I think he had he's had a couple of injuries. But, um, I'd be really excited. You know I've always had a soft spot for Rufo, uh, and the way they're playing right now, it'd be great to see them have a full season under Stukalov to see if he could keep that going for them next year. Um, you know, a young Russian manager. Playing, playing attacking football, it's, it's exactly what you want to see compared to, you know, he, he really breaks the mould of, of a Russian coach right now. I've always been a fan of how Ufa do their work off the pitch. But I must admit, on the pitch, it is turgid. And at times over the last couple of years, it has been difficult to watch. And that's really the biggest take that I've got from his games in charge so far. I don't know if it's just them like we've mentioned before, potentially just going for it. And if they go down, they go down. I don't know if it's coincided with the return of Kadzidzov and a little bit of a renewed man, but it does look like Stokalovs came in and with and immediately said that he wants to play attacking football. That was his style at Velez. And if that's what Ufa are going forward to do now, then full credit to them because, yes, their defensive backs-to-the-wall counter-attacking style has been very successful in previous seasons that wasn't the case this year Belenov wasn't quite on the form that he has been recently he's still been very good of course he's been still been very good but in the last couple of years he's arguably up there as one of the best goalkeepers in the league playing out of his skin so it's good to see Ufa change and go with more of a progressive footballing philosophy rather than just the defensive counter-attacking stuff you do see and it was actually quite funny to see um Chernov get a, get a call to to play. I mean, obviously, Belenov was missing, and that's the only reason Chernov ever plays, but he's now been at UFA for three years, and this is only his fifth match, like, ever for them. <laughs> so, just, he is the definition of 
second choice goalkeeper who never gets a look in. But I'm I'm glad for Ufa that they have turned it around and given themselves basically the two game playoff to stay in the league. Um, and absolutely full credit to them because if you look at if you take a look, I know this is a focus on Ufa, but if we take a little minute to focus on their direct rivals in the table in in the bottom two mainly in Tambov and Rotter, and they've basically fallen apart. A lot of people thought that Rotter's team at the start of the season wasn't good enough, and it's proven now that even with some experienced additions, that it simply isn't good enough and hasn't been. But since they sacked Katskevich, they've really totally fallen apart, and and I think the Zenit game at the weekend, while Zenit deserve credit for the performance, especially Malcolm, um, the way Rotter fell apart has been very disappointing to see. And I think that's arguably one of the most one-sided games I've ever seen. I think in the end, Zenit had like 75% possession, 30 shots of which like 15 or 16 were on goal. I mean, Kondrich made 12 saves, but he didn't, which is very good numbers. But even then, he still didn't particularly impress. It was just the sheer amount of saves that you had to make because there was just Zenit free Zenit players free constantly like Rotter were looked as bad as Tambov have this season and there's just really no excuse for that at least Tambov have got have had a rebuild from nothing they've totally had to rebuild their club with nothing after all their players left Rotter have just folded it's just just inwardly collapsed on themselves which and Ufa deserve credit because they've not only not done that but actively made the change. I mean, Gazizov doesn't sack managers very often and really come out on on the better side of things. Richard, what's any last take on Ufa before we finish up? Yeah, I'll probably catch um, the next couple of games from them. I'm, I'm fascinated to see Stukov. I haven't seen any other games since he took over, but yeah, it looks like there's already been a good new manager bounce, good transformation. Um, and yeah, I, I quite like Ufa to stay up. Like I say, I think I think we all like them on the pod. They're, um, they're a nice nice team. They've built themselves up really, really well. Very well-run club. They just have these little wobbles, don't they, when a good manager or a couple of good players leave them. They have a little bit of a down period and they, they rise up again. Um, Samak left them and there was a bit of a wobble. And then they came back and, you know, Kazizov left them, then came back and, you know, hopefully they there'll be an upward trajectory next season. So hopefully fingers crossed. And just on Rotor, um, be interesting to see. I, I remember before, obviously this was quite a while before I started writing for RFN. I remember reading about the, the 2011, 12 season. That was obviously the first season when the calendar switched. And I think Tom Tomsk set a record that season for longest period without scoring a goal. It makes you wonder whether Rotor are closing in on how dreadful, a record that is, considering how bad that Tom team that got relegated that season was. They've they've scored literally three goals since the restart, and they all came in one game against Tamboff. And the cra- the crazy thing is about Rotor is at least you know like you said James Tamboff they've had to get a new side together, but at least they're actually scoring a few goals, whereas Rotor just they're not scoring. <laughs> it's just they've changed manager. It's just dreadful. I watched their game against Zenit, and yeah, Chondrich. If you hadn't been for him, they would have lost. Probably would have had eleven or twelve goals put past them. They were literally that bad. Um, just, just really, really poor. Um, I have to say, Zenit played quite well. At the I, saw, I say I saw the game, and we'll quickly mention Zenit. They played quite well at the weekend. It was interesting without Asmoon how they played Drewsy centre in a central position, and uh, there was quite some quite good interchange between um, Mostavoy, him, and Malcolm. Mostavoy, Drewsy, and Malcolm. That was quite a good interchange in the three behind Zuba. Wendell had another good game, playing slightly deeper this this week in a, in a two. Um, yeah, Most, Mostavoy played really, really well. Um, be interesting to see if he can now, in these last three games, carry on that form, because obviously Zenit are going to be reshaping some areas of their squad this summer. So could he finish the season strongly and possibly put himself in contention for more starts next season? You know, obviously at 23 now, you get the impression of Mostavoy, this is now the time to deliver. He had a very good season on loan at Sochi last year, but be interesting to see what, what the future holds for him. Um, but obviously, Juicy's leaving, so how will Zenit, you know, what kind of play will they buy to? You know, we, we assume Asmoon's leaving, so be interesting to see what they do with those spots. But I'm looking forward to that game against Lokomotiv next weekend. You know, that should be, that should be a good game for the top two. Sorry, this weekend, good game between the top two. Yeah, certainly. Looking forward to that. And and with that, we have reached the end of this week's pod. We've 
promised a little bit of a shorter one to give you all a little bit of a, a listing break after the near two hour marathon that we did last week, focusing a lot on the on the Super League. And as a result, this week's been a little bit of a uneventful one, really. And the main event that or the main news that have taken place is, is really uh, broken the last 24 hours or so. Now, we did mention back in March that Nikolai Laren had left his role as Chitanova director. And it's broke today, and or it was broke last month that he was being investigated. And today, uh, it's broken that he's being uh, facing potential criminal charges. Um, Laren uh, has been charged by the police. He's been released after testifying, and they have released no further information as of yet on that because it is, of course, an ongoing matter. Now, the matter revolves around essentially the registration of players and the selling and the profits generated from Chitanova registered players. And because Chitanova is, as an entity, is registered as a school, a state-funded school as well, rather than a commercial entity made for profit, um, they technically have no right to sell any players whatsoever because they belong to the state and not to this commercial entity like a regular football team would. And because they have apparently, the, the charges suggest, and the the rumours around the charges suggest that they have apparently developed some scheme in order to sell their players and generate a profit. If they were registered as a private entity, this would, of course, be no issue whatsoever. If they didn't create profit and funneled it into the state or, or, or balanced their books in some way, then that would also be no issue. But because they are, they did initially set themselves up as a state-funded school and have then basically became what is still a state-funded school, but within playing within the means of a professional football team, um, it's created a grey area that they have crossed over and Laren basically is, is the man who's in charge of that. So be very interesting to see what, comes from this because we all said at the time that we were surprised by his sudden and shock resignation um and this this is basically why so a developing story to certainly keep an eye on and if it wasn't russia it would be surprising but with that that's the end of this week's podcast tune in next time for more of the same Goodbye for now. Идет футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь. Но мяч берет ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечок. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстрота, увлечение, расчет.